When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is our mission here to rigorously and ruthlessly train the humanity out of you and make you into something better. We're going to make doctors out of you. Well, I just believe there's more to being a doctor than memorizing facts about the ventricular arteries. I don't care what you think. I care about my biology test. We're not even going to see a patient until the third year. If you want to become a doctor, we have to learn to treat the patient as well as the disease. That's why we have to dive into people. <laughs> You have a brilliant mind, and like many brilliant people, you don't necessarily think the rules apply to you. It was so much more convenient thinking of you as an idiot. That little ice that just chipped off? If you want to be a clown, go join the circus. For your own sake, I think you should just lay low for a while. The hospital will cover all of your bills. Any other questions? <laughs> Patients are opening up to me, Corinne. They're sharing their dreams, their fantasies. Don't concentrate on the pain. I'm warning you, stay out of this hospital. What if a doctor becomes emotionally involved with a patient? What is wrong with that? Patients don't need a friend. They need a doctor. My name is Dr. Phil. <laughs> I'll be your surgeon. Oh, there you are. You are dismissed, sir. From this school. They can't prevent me from graduating because of a personality clash, can they? Universal Pictures presents... You are not cut out to be a physician. Our job is improving the quality of life, not just delaying death. The true story... <laughs> ...of a man who broke every rule. Why am I such a threat to you, sir? Because what you want is for us to get down there on the same level as our patients. And prove that laughter... Donner, party of 50! Donner, party over here! ...truly is the best medicine. Cloudfleet! Robin Williams. You treat a disease, you win, you lose. You treat a person, I guarantee you'll win, no matter what the outcome. Patch Adams. That's the trailer for the 1998 movie Patch Adams, starring Robin Williams as Patch. I've gotten letters from at least a hundred countries saying how much the film meant to them. I mean, my own personal feeling is that I don't need recognition. I, I didn't want the film to be called my name. Fame and name kind of rhyme and go with each other. And so that was done and I didn't fight it. I saw the movie in the same way I see the Nobel Peace Prize nomination. I saw the movie as a chance to get the funding. I was told I would get the funding to build the hospital. How's it going today, Patcher? <laughs> Lars, it's the best day of my life. So you woke up this morning and what happened? Well, I, I knew that this was the best day of my life. Hey, sir, how's your day going? You know, thanks for asking. It's the best day of my life. Welcome to the movie episode of The Best Day of My Life, Patch Adams' journey to the Nobel Peace Prize nomination with Patch and Lars Adams. So one of the reasons Patch was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize was because the film brought him and his work global fame. 
and eventually led a Nobel Peace Prize nominating committee member to the real Patch Adams. The school teacher is the most important person of the human community. It is an insult to thinking, to community, to society, culture, to our future, that a school teacher makes less money than a sports figure. The most watched television show in the world is the Super Bowl. What is it about multimillionaires playing with their balls that is interesting? When will hunger be interesting? So the Patch Adams movie was a significant chapter in Patch's life, springboarding his international speaking career, allowing him to share his philosophies far and wide. I'm producer Rainbow Valentine, and in this episode, Patch's son Lars dives into the story behind the movie. Hey, Patch here. Stumpy, excuse me. Hey, 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 Larser. Let's first start by, um, I guess, uh, talking about your book. So the Patch Adams movie was inspired by a book Patch wrote. When did you start writing your book, and when was your book published? You're talking about Gesundheit. Yes. Well, to give you absolute accurate information, here I've got it. It looks like uh, 1992. Okay. It goes up to when I graduate, which was 1971. That's right. It says number one bestseller behind the hit movie. I told it to Maureen Mylander, who it says with Maureen Mylander. You know, I'd I'd done crazy things and it was a more interesting doctor than most probably. And so they thought there would be a good chance. Lots of great pictures. So what, what is the book about? It's bringing good health to you, the medical system and society through physician service. Complimentary therapies, humor and joy. Okay, so it, it's the basis of your um, approach to healthcare, exactly, and and, ha- and and what led you to being the doctor you became. Yes, and I can give you just part one says bringing vision and joy to the practice of medicine. Okay, so who had the idea to do a book, and uh, how did the book come about? Oh, I'd have to go back in my journal to give. I wouldn't want to give a wrong answer. I'm sure I early on said it'll be really helpful to have a book because that'll get it on TV and getting it to be more, quote, famous will help it become a movie, which will help it get funded. So Patch was in the media before the movie came out. Here's an excerpt of Patch on the Oprah Winfrey show in 1988. I was reading about you, Dr. Adams. So how long have you been a doctor? 17 years. 17 years. And you actually went to med school and all that stuff. Right. Okay. And what kind of doctoring do you do? Well, I'm a, I consider it political activism. I went through medical school with the idea I wanted to use medicine for social change. So I addressed, uh, looked at medical problems and care delivery and upon graduation wanted to set up a model addressing all the problems. So we've never charged money. We don't accept third-party insurance. We don't carry malpractice. And we've lived with our patients as friends in our home 
and now we're building a 40-bed hospital, free hospital in West Virginia. Uh, so that very, very much is like the impossible dream. Hey, we're happening. You're happening. Yeah. So what made you decide to do this? Oh, civil rights movement, movement in the war in Vietnam, and deciding that I wanted to stop complaining, and I wanted to try to do something about it. You don't take money from Blue Cross or... No, wouldn't. Medicare. You don't take any money. No. Mm, no. Mm, mm. That's why I'm so happy. That's great. That's really great. And so, so now, after doing the show, of course, every sick person in the world is going to be calling you. Well, we're not, we're not seeing patients right now. We felt... We, we used our home as a hospital. If you can imagine a large single-family dwelling with 20 adults living in it, having 500 to 1,000 people in your home a month with 5 to 50 overnight guests a night, with you already had 20 adults and their children living there, that wasn't a model. We need a model. We need to build a model. And so it's sort of like a Peace Corps sort of thing. Yes, it's really just but nice people Corps. wanting to be generous and not taking from the world. That's really incredible. Oh, you should be applauded for that. You really are. <laughs> I need a happy, funny, thoughtful mind To keep me loving, cooperative, creative all the time Then you know I'll be feeling fine And, and how did you start to hear that there might be interest in making a movie out of the book? Or based on the book? I'm not sure, but I think the contract was signed 94, 95 And the movie came out in 98 Okay. Don't you have a friend in Hollywood that was uh, helping you out, uh, Mike Farrell? Mike Farrell is an American actor best known for being in the American TV show MASH from 1975 to 1983. And he was one of the producers of the Patch Adams movie. He was on a, a Russia trip with me, with Shelley Fabre, his wife at the time. Mike Farrell from MASH was married to Shelley Fabre, an American actress and singer who was on the Donna Reed show, the 90s sitcom Coach, and sang Johnny Angel in 1962, which was number one on the Billboard Hot 100. How did they find you and end up on the clown trip? I just remember them being on a clown trip that I was on, and it was whoever organized that clown trip, we were both connected to them. Did they um, shepherd your book into Hollywood? Yes, I think that Mike Farrell was one of the shepherds. We wanted to know more, so we called Mike Farrell for what turned out to be a delightful reunion between Patch and Mike. Hello, hello, hello. I'm really tickled. It's been... I'm going to say a couple of decades since, since <laughs> I remember us yep. speaking. So I'm thrilled that you're there. And you're you're persevering, evidently. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm here to cause trouble. Yeah, good for you. Good trouble. <laughs> non, non-violent trouble. After the niceties, I asked Mike how he met Patch and how he shepherded Patch's story into a film. I was lucky enough to meet Patch, um... My wife and I were asked to be part of a delegation of citizens to the then Soviet Union in around 1985. The Soviet Union in 1985 was the enemy of America, and the palpable threat of nuclear war between the countries was constant. And we signed up without much understanding of who 
was going to be part of it. It was put together by a man who claimed to be a psychologist, and he had invited uh, people from all walks of American life. And so we got to uh, Helsinki, Finland, before going into the Soviet Union, for everybody to kind of get together and meet. And the more the people who got up and talked, the less sanguine I became about the approach that was being taken. There were a lot of new age types who, with whom I had no quarrel, but I wasn't sure that it was realistic to be dealing with um, the people in the Soviet Union in, in a kind of manner that they might not understand. And as we walked into this one big, what they called plenary session, my wife and I we were in a crowd of people and I saw this big guy wearing a, a, a clown outfit, big floppy shoes, and I think a clown hat and big blousy pants. And I said to my wife, oh my God, if, if, if these people are from outer space, this guy's from Pluto. And people got up and talked about who they were and what they were and what they were about. And um, this one woman got up and she said that she was, she believed very strongly in the power, the transforming power of crystals, and that she had brought with her a bag of crystals. And she wanted each person who was so inclined to come up and take a crystal out of this bag and hold it near their heart and go into the Soviet Union and find someone with whom they resonated and share that crystal with that person. I was sitting there a bit judgmental, I will admit, and the next person that got up was the fellow I had seen in the clown outfit. And he was fabulous. He introduced himself as Dr. Hunter Patch Adams, and he was a medical doctor, and he'd been this, but he didn't believe in the way in which medical was medicine was practiced in the United States. And he thought that laughter was the best medicine, and so his, his intention in life was to help people realize their health and regain their health through laughter. And he said, and I, I'll never forget this, he, he did a perfect, I don't want to say parody, because I don't think he meant it in an insulting way, but a perfect uh, imitation of the prior woman, the, the New Ager. And he said, I, I wear and believe in the power of rubber noses. And I have brought with me a, a bag of very powerful rubber noses. And I want any of you who choose to, to come up and find a rubber nose with which you resonate and take it with you until you meet someone in the Soviet Union. And we went on with this parody. And I was hysterical. I was laughing so hard. And I, so I said to my wife, I love this man. I don't know who he is other than what he has said, but I've got to know him. And we got to know each other on this trip, two weeks in the Soviet Union. And I will say we were on a train um, going in from, uh, from Helsinki to uh, uh, Moscow. And there was some concern because a lot of the people with us had agendas. I had one of my own. And there were to be inspections of uh, our the goods we were carrying in by Russian guards who were sort of no-nonsense guys. And the train stopped, and this, this team of Russian 
investigator types, military types, came onto the train and started going through things. And what they didn't want were some people had brought religious artifacts and Bibles. They didn't want those to be invited in, uh, go, going into the Soviet Union. So they confiscated them. But during this pause, while the train was stopped on the tracks on the border before going into the Soviet Union, I looked out the window of the train and there was this fellow, Patch, Ad <laughs> Patch Adams, out walking up and down with a, a line of armed Soviet soldiers, giving each of them rubber, <laughs> rubber noses and <laughs> telling them about the great powers that were invested in these rubber noses through laughter and comedy and the value thereof. And I thought, this man is heaven sent. I don't know when I've ever seen anybody with the presence and with the courage and with the commitment to the human value that, that he was expressing and his love of people and his desire to see to it that people laughed and enjoyed themselves and, and appreciated themselves as a result was really quite extraordinary. And um, <laughs> when we got home, we stayed in touch. And it was some time later, I got word from Patch that he had written a book. And what he wanted to do was build a free clinic. And he got the book, got some attention from Hollywood. And he was getting appeals or expressions of interest from big names in the industry, bringing him out to Hollywood and fetting him and driving him around in limousines and and he called me and he said mike uh, these people don't speak my language i don't want to, <laughs> i don't want to get lost in this hollywood shuffle i want to you know make a movie if we're going to make a movie about me and my practice that's great but he said it's it, it's got to be from the heart he said i want you to make it and i said patch i don't have the i don't have the clout in the industry that these people have and he said i don't care he said, if you if you won't do it, he didn't say if you won't, but he said, I don't want these guys to do it because they don't understand me. They don't understand it. They're just going to cheapen it all. And you would understand it. So if you'll, I, I'll give you the rights if you will do it. So I said, let me try. And my partner and I were able through uh, somebody I knew at Universal Studio to set up a deal, a contract. The film got made and it wasn't the film, I think, should have been done. It wasn't the film that I wanted to make. It didn't pay. And it, it was funny. And it made Patch, as he told me, it made him a world-renowned figure. And it opened up all kinds of possibilities for him. So for that, he was very grateful. But I thought it deserved more of the gut-level reality of Patch's, who Patch is and what his life was about, is about. So I was frankly ended up being frustrated by it, but I was thrilled that it got the audience it got and that it made Universal a lot of money, but it did not do what I had intended for it to do, which was to give Patch enough money to build his free clinic. So when we have another clown trip, Mike, it seems like uh, maybe I can get you to go with us. <laughs> we can talk about that, my pal, but I'd love to go somewhere with you. Tell me about how the movie was made. The movie was just a heightening of the fame factor. Ten years after Patch was on Oprah, his story became a feature film. Well, I really enjoyed I, I lived in Robin's house for 12 days, and that was fun. 
As I'm an extreme extrovert, he was more of an introvert. And so we had a chance to bond with each other because he wasn't always busy with other people. Of course, the Robin Patch is referring to is Robin Williams, the beloved American comedian and actor who started as an improviser in L.A. and San Francisco comedy clubs in the 1970s before hitting stardom in the TV series Mork and Mindy. I am Mork from Mork. Which led to a successful film career. Born in 1951, Robin Williams died by suicide in 2014. I don't know how much value I have in this universe, but I do know that I made a few people happier than they would have been without me. And as long as I know that, I'm as rich as I ever need to be. What were the 12 days living at Robin Williams' house like? You know, Lars, it's funny. At 75, my memory plays different funny things to me. I remember it wonderfully as an abstract without being able to give you exact details. I goofed with his children. I mean, I'm a guy with whoopee cushions and laugh machines and and that sort of thing, and I used them indiscriminately. And I was playing in a world that I was, you know, I, I grew up I think we can say safely that I was an activist that led into hippiedom and and the commune and all of that before this notoriety factor. If Gesundheit started in 71, by 98, it had had 28 years of existence. So not only did the 12 years we saw patients were there, but also the time after that. And it was also at a time when I thought by that time the hospital would be built. So I often talked about trying to get built rather than being the author of a famous movie. And it's funny, I still have something like that difficulty. People remember the movie, but they know little, very little about the hospital that we're trying to build. Yeah, I would say that's pretty common. Uh, for when I tell people that my dad is Patch Adams. Either people really know who you are or people kind of vaguely remember and they're not like, oh, Robin Williams, right? Yeah, and they they definitely don't remember what your vision and dream is, hospital and humor and healthcare. And I think even after they saw the movie, people didn't know much about that part. They remembered the movie. And so wait, I, I want to go back just to see if you have any more memories about the time you lived at Robin Williams' house for 12 days. Could you see or tell if he was observing you or taking notes? Did he try to like imitate you at any moments? I don't. He was a very smart person. And we spent eyeball to eyeball time with each other. I mean, if I look at the movie, I'm not sure how many of my own gestures I see. Absolutely. And so he was, you know, almost a foot shorter than I. And he was a much shyer person in his real life. Where shyness, I don't know anything about shyness. I think he was genuinely curious and thankful. Yeah, he didn't take on your characteristics of your personality. I would say that that really doesn't come through in the movie. He doesn't wear a ponytail. Right, which is unfortunate. I think, because you are a very particular eccentric guy and it could have been fun for him to work on embodying that more. I don't know that he felt he had the script to do that. Oh, right. What are some of your favorite memories of making the Patch Adams movie? 
Well, I think you know I've made like 70 or 80 hours of Super 8 films with our community, and some of them actually told stories. So I was a bit of a filmmaker myself. I've also been a person who's loved movies all of his life, and I've seen a huge number of movies. And so being on a set of a movie, I also have been a really big fan of Robin Williams. I was honored that he took the role. When the subject of a movie is you, you have a lot of privileges and things are really easy and people are taking care of you and nothing costs you anything. And so all of that was part of the package. Can you remember what it was like showing up to your own movie set? You know, I'm not a shy fellow. I'm an extreme extrovert, so I I felt like I fit in right away and asked a lot of questions and was curious what their questions were. I mean, you've, you've seen me in that style of questions and answers and nosiness and curiosities, and that's where I was. Can you paint us a picture of the set and the crew? Well, obviously, some of the set was out in... On Treasure Island. Right. In, in San Francisco Bay Area. Right, and they had their idea of what my school was like and what home was like, and I was uh, playing along with it. I, I was not there being very critical. I went onto the movie set for a week for my spring break, and I remember being on Treasure Island and riding in limousines for my first time and being brought to the movie set. We were on the hospital set. Yeah, that was my first time on a movie set. I, re I remember being blown away by all the amenities and services and the free candy bar. I remember everybody being very nice to me. Um, I remember Robin making time for me every day on the set and even bringing me to the his trailer, just me and him, and we would play PlayStation games together and eat candy. Here's our friend Mike Farrell and his memory of that visit to the set. Patch is Patch is who he is, and he wanted to come to visit the set and bring his son. And I arranged for that, uh, which made me happy. But I, I, I was never happy with the way they treated uh, Patch. I, they, you know, he he was tolerated, but not honored as he should be everywhere. The unwillingness of the so-called so creative people to be creative and the unwillingness of the people in control to to meet their promises, to uh, fulfill their promises were a source of frustration to me. So it matches reality. This guy who wakes up every morning and says, this is going to be a great day uh, is such an inspiration. It's such a, for me, such proof of the possibilities inherent in the human spirit that I wanted that to be broadcast to everybody and Robin did Robin did his best Robin is a very talented actor but you know he only had he had a director who was limited and he had a script that was I believe limited as well um, so he he did what he could rather than what he might have done um, if he'd been able to portray patch the social revolutionary doctor who wants to build a free hospital and believes in the capacity of laughter to heal and uh, you know all the things that patch has made a uh, mainstay of, of his life 
just from a dollars and cents purely capitalistic point of view, it, it pains me to think that Universal Pictures made hundreds of millions of dollars and didn't make possible his free hospital. One thing I remember, the first time Patch went to the movie set, he came back with half of his hair dyed blue. Isn't that right, Patch? Um, I'd have to go back to my journal for that. I Well then I, I'm gonna I, trust I'm gonna trust my memory with this one. Because I thought I had blue hair before, but maybe not. You didn't. You didn't. It was after your first trip to the movie set that you came back with your hair half your hair dyed blue and you've kept it blue ever since. There you go. Oh, blue hair everywhere, blue hair everywhere. All people, they stop and stare. Blue hair everywhere. People with their mouths agape will ask me if the curtains match the drapes. Oh, blue hair everywhere. Ah, trucking my blues away. Oh, yeah. Trucking my blues away. Do you have any stories or moments that you remember from being on the movie set? Well, it was a long time ago, like 93, 94, or 94, 95 which is almost 30 years ago. I have more of a, a dreamy memory of it, that it was everything was easy and provided for, and that I felt respect. In a way, it was like a voyeur going into a, a world that he loved. He, I love movies, and here was one of my favorite actors being me, and. So, like a dream. Do you have any favorite memories of Robin? Well, one of the things I loved was he didn't seem to have fame arrogance. He was a regular guy that a lot of people so adored him, they had trouble being with him. But I think I was a regular person with him. And uh, he also was really smart and well-read. He was playful. He liked me being playful. And so that's really kind of, I re remember I had a new playmate. More calling Orson. Come in, Orson. That's Robin Williams as Mork in Mork and Mindy, my first exposure to his heartfelt comedy genius. Come in, your fatitude. Yow, baby, get down. <laughs> you never guess what I learned. You'll never guess. Go on, take one guess. Too late? Okay, I'll tell you. I learned that I'm okay. I'm not as bad as I thought I was. We'll play excerpts of Robin and Patch Adams and Mork and Mindy throughout the episode. Yeah, if it's at all possible to paint a picture of what a typical day was like hanging out with Robin as he was observing you, because you, as you mentioned before, you spent 12 days with him. That's my his... memory is that I lived in his house for 12 days and he wasn't like there with a microscope or a magnifying glass. I was playing with his kids and and being in his home. I didn't want to be too invasive of his life. So I was trying to feel out how to be there as a friend. It was playful. I have a memory of going to a park with you, Robin, and his kids. Oh, gosh, yeah. I wish, I wish my memory was more clear from... All this well, we're talking about a long time ago. At what point in history did a doctor become more than a trusted and learned friend who visited and treated the ill? 
Now you ask me if I've been practicing medicine. Well, if this means opening your door to those in need, those in pain, caring for them, listening to them, applying a cold cloth until a fever breaks, if this is practicing medicine, if this is treating a patient, then I am guilty as charged, sir. Do you remember going to the premiere? And can you tell us what that was like, seeing the movie for the first time? You know, it's funny. My mental life was going, I hope this builds our hospital. I remember very privately thinking, I wish it had at times more political statements. There was a lot of humor and playfulness that a lot of the political issues I feel were left out. I remember lots of popcorn at the premiere and friends. Could you have a favorite moment from the movie? Hmm. You know, it'd be nice is for us to watch it together. Oh my gosh. A doctor's mission should be not just to prevent death, but also to improve the quality of life. That's why you treat a disease, you win, you lose. You treat a person, I guarantee you, you win. So the movie Patch Adams came out in 1998, around Christmas time. And was a huge hit, like Robin's films usually were a huge hit. Do you remember how you felt, it being I, your head? I remember feeling like it was surreal. I remember feeling that I didn't know what to think. I knew it was exciting that a movie was made about you, and I was excited to go on the movie set and meet Robin Williams and riding around in limousines and be treated like uh, movie stars for a day. Yeah, I remember it being also strange having my picture in People magazine with you and just starting middle school as the movie was coming out. One of my memories is going to the premiere and at the after party of the premiere, while all the adults were schmoozing, me and Robin's kids went to one of the big balloon arches that was filled with helium balloons. And we started downing all the helium balloons and having little singing songs and getting totally buzzed on helium. One of the best parts for being known for the movie is how it made hospital clowning a more known profession and um, pursuit. I'm called the father of hospital clowning, but the style that we do is very different than a clown going in a room and doing some jokes. Absolutely. Can you guys describe the um, hospital clowning that you, you do? Well, I have this outrageous character who loves fart jokes, who loves to put in fake snot, you know, in my clowning, I usually, I often ask the hospital who is suffering the most because I, not that I feel sure that I can ease their suffering, but I want to go there. But on a more general level, Patch, what is the hospital clowning? We, and then we can go into the guy with the fish, who I also think isn't just fart jokes and snot. It's, no, it, it's, it's not. It's, you know, I've been one character for decades. He's very observant of what is going on in the room. And so I always have balloons and I, I have a particular costume that I wear. And, and um, I, 
engage them with the toys I have and with love. Yeah, and oftentimes uh, on these community clown trips that Apache has led around the world, we bring groups of volunteers to clown in hospitals, orphanages, nursing homes, mental institutions, prisons, refugee camps, displacement camps, restaurants, anywhere they'll let us, right, the subway. While Patch has been made popular as a hospital clown in the movie, and that that's popularized hospital clowning around the world, usually when we take groups of clowns to different countries, we're not only visiting hospitals, we're also visiting all those other places I mentioned. But hospital clowning in particular, teams of clowns are brought to different wards in the hospital and we're given fair warning about if we can enter the rooms or not or how close we can get to the patients. Oftentimes we're brought where we can be at bedside with the patients. Part of Patch's clown philosophy in hospitals is that anyone can do it if they have the desire to authentically connect and share and spontaneous play in love. If you put the red nose on and you put on a colorful outfit and you enter these spaces with an open heart, then uh, magic can unfold and you can share in the humanity of this person and maybe for a moment relieve some of their suffering or at least uh, let them feel loved and celebrated. What was the most challenging part of being known for the Patch Adams movie? Well, when I say fame is a nightmare, like today I answer the letter, somebody wrote me and they wanted an autograph. They didn't tell me anything about themselves and they put in some Canadian money to pay for the letter, the autograph, to come back. I don't take the money, and I write them a letter telling them that I don't do autographs, that I'm a person, and that an autograph makes me a product. And so I use their letter as a way to give the, a little political lesson and to let them know they wrote me a letter and they didn't ask me anything. They didn't tell me anything about themselves. They're very short letters. And I think they think I want to do that. Yeah. So I think one of the most challenging parts for, of being known for the movie Patch Adams is the fame that came with it. And it, well, not, no, that's not it. The recognition that led you to have many people come ask you for autographs or interrupt intimate moments. Right, and it also opened a lot of doors. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm not sorry for the door opening, and I've made a lot of letter-writing friends and a lot of friends on clown trips that I don't think would have been on a clown trip had they not seen the film. And certainly that's true of the vet trips. Patch takes war vets with PTSD on humanitarian clown trips, and we'll get more into that story in future episodes. Right, so the notoriety for the film obviously greatly helped a lot of elements for your cause. While it might not have built the hospital yet, it still led to so many good connections and clown trips. And it's really interesting. I don't know if you've explored it, Lars, but you've been on many clown trips. 
I don't know if you've seen clowns that didn't go on a clown trip that are clowning, but often they don't really connect with people much at all except through the gimmick that they do. So they're entertainers, but not interactors. Mm. I need a happy, funny, thoughtful mind to keep me loving, cooperative, creative all the time. Then you know I'll be feeling fine. What if one of your patients had died? What's wrong with death, sir? What are we so mortally afraid of? Why can't we treat death with a certain amount of humanity and dignity and decency and, God forbid, maybe even humor? Death is not the enemy, gentlemen. If we're going to fight a disease, let's fight one of the most terrible diseases of all, indifference. So as we said, this is the true not-Hollywood story of Patch Adams, which brings us to the movie's tearjerker ending with the murder of Patch's wife. Something happened last night. Corinne Fisher was murdered. She was with Larwood Silver. The shotgun involved, and he turned the gun on himself. Patch, I'm sorry. I know she was a friend. So in real life, Patch's wife was not killed. But that plot point comes from the true story of Patch's dear friend and colleague, who was. In the movie, your love interest is murdered. Uh-huh. It was really Louis Pastore. And it was really Louis Pastore. Yeah. And so who was Louis Pastore? He was one of my classmates, and I would say... Over the four years of medical school, we got closer and closer each year. His father was one of the professors and an ENT. And Louis, okay, he, he wanted to go from son of very well-known and conservative doctor to freedom-loving doctor. So the first years were so fascinating because you never know knew what was going to show up and whatever was the mental health area, we chose not to give medication and to to give theater and music. But back to Lou. Louis, okay. Back to Louis. Yeah, Louis loved it. Was he a member he, from the beginning? Lars is referring to being a member of Patch's commune. No, he was in a psychiatric residency thinking that we were doing more psychiatry than their residency. And he really liked the freedom he had. And when you're giving heavy medications to heavily different people, let's call them, or, or raging nuts, often the doctors prescribe medicine so that they're basically vegetating. If they're such an interesting improvisational person, you can have a lot of fun with him, and that's what I did. And what happened to Louis? He got more and more involved. So Dr. Louis Pasteur joined Patch's commune hospital. And my memory of the man he got involved with was in his own head an elitist that in, in a way, I think, he got in a head-to-head like a jousting with Louis. You understand what I battling each other with their minds or engaging i think louis wouldn't have seen it as battling right he he would have said okay this is where this guy is going i'm going to go there with him and 
as it can be with somebody who is labeled, they can change and be quite different in the next half hour. The first people we go to are the mentally troubled. We want to make sure they're not going to kill themselves or kill somebody else there at the place. So that if there was somebody strange, all of the people who were personality testers checked out that person. If you got concerned over somebody, then that spread. Sometimes we went up to a person and said, look, uh, you're frightening people here and we can't have that. You're going to need to go. It didn't happen very often and we did. And, and it was one of the things we were frightened of doing because you could see that some people want to hurt. That's their mental place right now is they, they want to be dominant or whatever you want to call it. So it was my understanding that Louis died on a house call with this person? A long time ago, I told you. Well, when the movie came out and I, I was like, well, well you're... that was a long time ago. Yes, it was, 98. And it was like, well, your love interest didn't die. Well, how does this relate? 25 years ago. You told me that Louis went on a house call with this guy that he was mentally jousting with and he blew his head off. Right. You know, as I've gotten older, I've always thought that's just as heartbreaking as your made up love interest, your best friend or one of your, you know, one of your really well, good it friends. it made us question what we were doing. It did. Do you open your house to anybody? Okay, name three rules that you can feel safe that the other rules are free. So no guns, all right? So nothing that's a weapon vibe. You can verbally argue no physical fights. You just can't have that at a hospital. So I think there was a no pet rule or that you had to chain up your pet. But I think it was mostly don't bring your pet. Couples were complicated, especially couples that were fighting. A lot of us, I certainly did, they liked as many people as want to be part of an argumentative kind of conversation as you can get, so that it's not just the therapist and the patient, that it can be five or six people. That way there are witnesses and it's very useful. Would you have any advice for anyone who is having a biopic made about them? Well, I would have a discussion about fame and beware of fame because it can also be seductive. It often leads to a kind of fame arrogance that I think is very destructive. My recommendation is find a way to use it that can help yourself or our society. You know, Patch. It's miraculous, the stuff you do, and it's uh, you are to be congratulated, uh, but more just loved for who you are and what you do. If anybody is out there listening, this is a man you should treasure. I'm going to blow a kiss to you, Mike, okay? <laughs> I'll blow one right back, pal. I got it. <laughs> Until next week, Nanu, Nanu. In the next two episodes, Lars and Patch dive into Patch's hands-on piecework, 
bringing joy, fun, and love into war zones, disaster areas, prisons, orphanages, and hospitals in places like Chechnya, the Gaza Strip, Afghanistan, Bosnia, and more. Plus, we hear from a 94-year-old humanitarian clown who joined Patch's clown trips at the youthful age of 93. Stay tuned. It's the Best Day of My Life is produced by Rainbow Valentine Studios. Produced by Lars and Patch Adams, Rainbow Valentine, and Thessaly Lerner. Written and edited by Thessaly Lerner. Scored, mixed, and mastered by Ryan Reeves. Narrated by Rainbow Valentine. Music by Hope for a Golden Summer, The Ukulele, Greg Moore, Will Collins, and Noodle McDoodle. Theme song in Patch's Virtue Rag by Noodle McDoodle. Thanks to Derek Busby, Mike Farrell, our partners at Pantheon Podcasts, and you, our audience. Okay, guys, the series is produced by an all-volunteer team of Crackerjack Peacenik audio specialists, including the musicians sharing their music for free. If you can help us in any way, swing by rainbowvalentine.com and send us an email at rainbowvalentineparty at gmail.com. I'm Rainbow Valentine. Thanks so much for listening. Raise a glass to the downfall of evil. Mwah. <laughs>